welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Today's guest on the Keenan Yoga podcast is Alexandria Crow. Alex came to fame as a model for the cover of Yoga Journal and as a former competitive gymnast in her native Canada, she was easily acclimatized to the Ashtanga practice. She learned this whilst doing her teacher training at Yoga Works Los Angeles. You could say yoga came quite naturally and easily to her. However, everything changed when doing a routine movement. She experienced an injury that precipitated a deeper journey, really looking at what she was doing afresh. This meant reassessing the role of the teacher too, and the inherent bias contained within the yoga class towards the 1% of hyperflexible people. The way Alex teaches now focuses on respecting each individual and encouraging each person to explore their own uniqueness, to embrace themselves as they are and not how they think or have been told they are. Alex is a highly erudite and popular teacher with a worldwide reputation and an interest in yoga at its deepest level, including a rigorous explanation of yoga philosophy and Buddhism. I found her extremely present and open as we chatted about her own path, struggling with anxiety that brought her to yoga and had time in therapy. Welcome, Alex, to the Keenan Yoga podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Um, okay, so let's just start off with a normal uh, normal introduction. How, how do you come by yoga? You know, what's your background in it? How do you get into it? That kind of thing. Yes, the the uh, I feel like I've told this story more than any in my entire sure you have. life. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, go for it. I, make it fresh. Competitive, <laughs> no problem. Competitive yeah, gymnast yeah. for a very long time, but also um, raised in a family that had a spiritual belief system that really did not jive with me at all. Mm, and mm. so, unconsciously, at least, I was looking for something that would solve a lot of the friction and kind of anxiety that showed up as a result of that. And uh, retiring after college uh, from gymnastics, there was also a desire to do something physical. It wasn't an exercise or fitness aim. It was just that that had been an outlet for me for Mm. 18 years. And so that was kind of a natural serious, Like a serious, like a proper gymnast, not just dabbling. Mm -hmm. Like, no, not that. Right, okay. <laughs> right. No, like a hobby. Like you were doing it in college, like quite seriously. Yes, I was. Like, I was backflips back flip, back and that kind of thing. Right? Yes, all yeah. of that. Okay, right, so, right. It's good to know. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you got into it. So yoga must have been the cinch then. It must have been super easy. Uh, the physicality of it was very familiar. I mean, when yeah. I talk about having an Ashtanga practice, for example, like to me, that's 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 not hard. That's that was you know in comparison to the conditioning that goes into a gymnastics. Yeah, right. not physically terribly demanding I know it is for lots of people it's just my background didn't make it so absolutely yeah yeah I could see that um so well who like who were your main teachers and you know how you know what was the story of getting into the yoga you know we'll talk about you know the other reasons you got into it later I think that's really interesting um but you know how did your actual physical training uh go so I was uh 20 20 at the time. And of right. course, like a student with not a lot of money. So I traveled from class to class when I could afford it. And I lived in uh, Phoenix, Tucson, San Francisco, and then LA. So it was various places in those cities um, over the years. And then when I landed in LA, I had a lot of people who were in the yoga world who worked in various areas of like holistic health and things like that. And they were all yoga works people. So I ended up there. That's that's where I landed. That's where I initially trained. Um, and that's where I initially practiced for a great many years with, you know. That, that wasn't with Chakamati there, was it? Were they, they had were just they there? I was just uh, after I didn't, you know, I was, well, I was friends with Matty and I'm friends with Chuck. So, yeah. All right, okay. Yoga works. Right. But you're not, you're not um, American, are you? You're Canadian. Is that right? I'm Canadian. Yeah. But right, I moved okay, to the States right. when I was 15. So. Right. Okay. All right. So you did the, the yoga work training, which is, kind of specific right I mean that's a kind of a, a 
Well, it was kind of uh, unique at the time because it was anatomy-led, wasn't it? I mean, now it's not yeah. unique, really, but yeah, it was specific on cues and specific on alignment and this. Not kind of thing, specific right? on right? cues when I took it, um, right. and not inherently okay. specific fully on alignment. Although it was, I mean, it was detailed in the way that Matsu was detailed in that kind of like this is how yeah right yeah go, this is how it looks, but. Um, I was far enough back that they didn't have any of that cueing or like formulaic language. And, and my, and the teacher that taught me, he was absolutely against that. So yeah, that's, that's how I ended up with like this kind of hodgepodge of, of, you know, uh-huh. not having verbiage that's canned, but also still having some of that alignment that it was kind of precision based. And were you, um, were you practicing Ashtanga or, I mean, you know, you know, it's a roughly, roughly speaking, Ashtanga kind of based podcast. Um, so you were doing Ashtanga and you were practicing with teachers in LA, I suppose. But, mm-hmm. you know, yep. That, that yoga works in their Ashtanga program. Yep. The room Who that was there then? Just out of interest. Sadia Cottle and Maria Valella. Um, oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Yeah. Maria is the one that did all those ads with me back in the day. But um, and then uh, Sonia and who was doing? No, because it was Maria doing mornings. Yeah, it was. Right. And that, Sonia's who took over for Mati when she left. Right. And then you. You, you know, that was your practice or you did other things? And, and how did you get into teaching from there? Just to give a little that, over. That was my practice. Um, right. As soon as I was in teacher training, like that was it. That's the direction I went. Um, before that, it was, I mean, I would go to, I was never in an Ashtanga class, but I would go to classes that were probably, I mean, they were all labeled yoga at that time. We're talking like 22 years ago. So it was like yoga or yoga. There wasn't even really like a vinyasa based class at that point. So um, I guess they would be considered like probably hatha at this point because they were much more slow moving and much less like flow centric up to that point um yeah my initial yeah. class was like a bikram knockoff um they had the carpet and everything but it wasn't a franchise location in tucson so um but yeah I, I didn't like the heat at all so i dropped that right away but um yeah it was like a little bit of probably vi- what you would call well, you wouldn't really need there. extra heat in tucson anyways would you really oh yeah i mean no yeah, one i mean needs- you had they enough heat there already yeah, yeah. They, they'd love it arizona is like I lived in Scottsdale and uh, in high school and like apparently hot yoga is like the thing there. They can't get enough of it, which crazy. Makes crazy. Sense nervous yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Practice outside. I mean, I gotta understand it. You know, you're in London, UK and you're, you know, showing a bit of warmth in you for God's sakes, but yeah. um, you know, there. <laughs> well, so, right. So, you, you know, you did that and obviously you were adept at it because you already have gymnastic background and then, you know, and you also, I've seen you on Yoga Journal, right? You uncover mm-hmm. yoga journals and you did all that stuff. But what makes you really interesting, I think, and what I really particularly want to interview about was, you know, the, the shift that you've had subsequently to that. And, um, you know, I was reading your, your blog post, as I mentioned before, and, and uh, you mentioned, uh, well, so you're already a successful teacher, right? You were teaching mm-hmm. and, you know, in big classes and popular, et cetera. And, and then you had a, a, you know, a bit of a crisis, right? Yeah, I I, yeah. I wouldn't pinpoint it on an exact moment. In retrospect, I can see like the exact moments that things shifted and changed. But um, I was because I did gymnastics. I I knew I, I I hated getting hurt. Like I was the kid that my parents would actually like make fun of me at times when I would be in pain for something and complaining about it. And they'd be like, "It's nothing. It's okay." And then finally, they'd take me to like a specialist for it, and I'd get better the very next day. Like I, it was just something about like needing it to be validated. But I didn't like getting hurt. I got hurt very little as a gymnast. Actually, I had like minor injuries right. at best, and then I got really hurt at it in a yoga practice. Like. And it was not what I was there for. I wasn't there for the flash. I wasn't there to learn fancy stuff. I could already do it. So I was there invested in trying to resolve all that anxiety and discomfort. And yet I I ended up not able to walk. I had so much nerve pain for a while that it was really difficult. Yeah, you mentioned one one moment. Um, We don't have that posture, but... I I was like it what was it like something baby. What yeah, happy I went baby. into I yeah I went I, I was reading the post. I went into happy baby. I was like, well, what's that then? And, yeah. and then it sounds it doesn't sound very very dangerous, does no, it? No, you're just laying on your back and you pull your knees down. Like think it would be like what you would do before. Okay, you all right, okay. It's like ah, a yeah, like know, a little you know, with like what like you know just like playing for time before you're doing bridge or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> right, so you did that and then you did. And then I, you went into something else, and then you had this this huge pain down your yeah. on your leg. 
Yeah, I was, it was a uh, happy baby. I followed, I don't, I don't even know why I did it because I actually like knew that it didn't fully work in a way, but I was so adept at following the authority figure yeah. in my background that I, they said, you know, pull your knees down to the ground and posteriorly tilt your pelvis, like essentially move into extension in your spine while being in deep hip flexion. And, yeah, yeah. and then I went into down dog and just, I had like wrenched, like there's the last straw, I guess, but I didn't have any real like yeah. significant warnings up to that point that I would be like, right. Oh, I'm on the precipice here. And then it yeah. was just yeah. uh, nerve pain from herniated discs and the SI stuff and everything. So yeah. Yeah. It was rough. I didn't know what it was initially. It was just, it was pain. Like I'd never felt before it. I've never had nerve pain. Right. It's not nowhere, but, but you already, I mean, you, I think you already have excited it, right? Because you could have thinking, well, People say you have uh, another thing you said was the teacher said I had gymnast shoulders and I need to do X, Y in my back bend because, that, you know, so you're already kind of having like discrepancies about things, right? Yeah. Little here and there where I was like, oh, I just this isn't quite lining up for me in a way. Right. But you're so, you know, devout in this in this way and so inclined to uh, surrender your authority to the people in charge. It's not like their fault. It's just the system. And we, none of us were looking at it back then in this kind of way. So I had like little inklings there. Like I remember wrenching my SI joints out of place, doing a drop back assist for someone who shouldn't have been doing a drop back. And it was because I was subbing and I felt, you know, like this, I needed to do it. This person yeah. always did it and right, uh, right, right. Mm. yanked my SIs out and they went back. Okay. It was like, it's no big deal. It'll go back in. Don't worry about it. I rolled a rib out of joint. Same thing. Like, oh, don't worry. Just go to the chiropractor. It'll go back in. It was kind of like the going rhetoric with all of that. Right. And then... So there's like these little things, right? But nothing that is stacking up, especially when you're hypermobile. Like it just doesn't stack up because you have this delayed mm -hmm. onset sensation and like things that are that would register as pain or your nervous system would stop you from doing it in a body that isn't hypermobile. That none of that's there. So mm, that right, all, right. Yeah. one day yeah. it's like, you know, freight train. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. I mean, um, did a podcast for some recently about hypermobility as well and you just don't have those signs do you those reference points mm -hmm. so nope. you know it's difficult to, yeah but, and, and it also yoga has evolved in this time right i mean there was a time when it was like well you know just go do it and then you know just well it might be painful but it will somehow you'll overcome that or you know right. like you'll just yeah. naturally pass through that pain for just, purification put, pain for purification yeah yeah, yeah so. well the pure oh, like, yeah i can't even mention that rubbish but yeah 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 <laughs> that kind of mindset yeah, yeah, yeah. Your suffering is good. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's old. Retake the pure in um, the purest and the ethic in, in back in back into the yoga sphere. But how did things change after that? Now, so you had this thing, and then there's other things as well. You know, were ringing alarm bells ringing about the authority and about the. You know, you talk a lot about kind of a, how do I say it better? Elitism in yoga, or or, mm -hmm. or you know, uh, yeah, was that. Not really the right way yeah. to say it, but yeah, yeah. There's like a lot of things that were all kind of I was never the popular kid. I was not, I was not, I didn't grow up that way. Um, I was right. I moved from a different country. I did not really fit in. Like I just didn't have a great time of things in that kind of way. And I just never saw myself as that. And then all of a sudden to be kind of elevated in some kind of way or like given all these opportunities, I thought it was just because of my teaching. I was like, oh, I'm, I am good at my job and I'm, I'm good at, and I'm really passionate about it and I work really hard. Okay. It's that, mm, mm. but I also checked a whole bunch of like commercial boxes that made me viable um, to hire. Like I would sell things essentially, you know, off my body and the way that I looked and all that was like very, you know, status quo, stereotypical sales type of thing. So there's that. And then there was just this kind of feeling of like, something's just off here. And when I got hurt, I went from this person who could do everything to somebody who couldn't. And all of a sudden, I realized like, I'm trying to teach yoga to everyone that shows up that day on a level playing field. Because philosophically, this isn't about physical attainment or, you know, any kind of physical prowess. And yet, I couldn't fully see how unlevel that playing field was and how exclusive the technique was until I was not part of the people who could do everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So then it became like this constant unpacking of like what makes this unsustainable and inaccessible to so many people. Like, why do people say that they're not flexible enough to do yoga? There's a really significant set of reasons and they're not wrong. Like they're, they're yeah, using right. the wrong word. They're not saying asana when they, that's what they should be saying. They should be saying like modern yeah. iteration of asana, but they're, but when they're looking yeah. at the pose and they've been told that's yoga, they're not wrong that they're not flexible enough to do that because you really have to be hypermobile to do most of it in the current way it's taught at least broadly on average so um there was just a lot of like well why is that not working how could i actually change this and adapt it to make it work better and then if we say this is lifelong knowing that techniques evolve and adapt but that we're trying to not leave people in pain on purpose or like put them through that just for the sake of it then can't we change the technique to to eliminate that or to at least mitigate it to the point where it's not so common so hmm. But you were already teaching vinyasa, right? So at that time yeah. you were teaching vinyasa. Yeah. And I guess you were teaching from the front and you were doing the postures and, you know, people... I wasn't taught to do that, that. technically. Oh, you weren't doing them? No, I wasn't, a, I wasn't taught to demo. Um, I was taught to teach with words. And being I, did, I coached gymnastics for a long time too, and you teach that verbally and through drills. So I, I adapted a lot of my past teaching technique-wise to use it in yoga classes to actually teach people about what they were doing and how to approach it and what step they were, you know, on yeah. with them that day. But yeah, I wasn't well, doing What are you teaching? I mean, you know, okay. So you were you did you know, this, this time of injury stuff didn't, you know, affect your teaching necessarily because you weren't sort of doing it anyways. Right. right. So, but what, what, how did it affect the actual class structure just in a more flesh it out in a more pragmatic way? So you were doing it, you know, this thing, and then you were, you know, how do you make it inclusive to a whole class without water, watering it down? This is the fear so much that you right. to the lowest common denominator that you're left with lying down right <laughs> because you know i mean like unfairly fair enough some people can't do so much more than that you know what i mean they're in pain they're injured Absolutely. you know fair yeah. enough but, but, if um, you're trying you know, to what? save function or form like if you're trying to save the form aka the technique right like the poses if this is what you're trying to save and you prioritize that over the function they're serving then yeah you run into like a brick wall almost every time and then if there's some kind of like set set of techniques you have to use every day. Like there's a lot of, you know, Ashtanga is that kind of way in, in most ways. It has more adaptability than, you know, others. Like you set sequences like Bikram are super tight. You can't, you know, there's no wiggle room with that stuff, but. You don't have to love Ashtanga, by the way. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you your criticisms of Ashtanga later. Oh, it's, I, I have, <laughs> I'm, I have no ability to really like not say this, <laughs> my honest feelings about things. So um, yeah. And I also don't hate it. Like I'm not one of those people that kind you of. Don't takes a crap on anything i'm kind of like well it depends i don't know yeah 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 yeah. um, the way that i changed it was to well first i didn't know why what had happened to me had happened i only knew that i was in pain i actually didn't think it was anything to do with what i was doing on a mat um because this was long long before people were talking about injury like that so i just started looking at like well what is what's triggering it for me and then i would go and research anatomically and like mechanically what the physiology behind any of that was and when i'd learned like oh man this instruction or this pose requires this thing that is manufactured or inorganic or outside range or whatever it was i'd bring it into class and start to adapt it um, and change it and i would i was always looking at the function anything was serving so like you know you were you did it when you said uh, when I said happy baby and you went, oh yeah, like that thing that's kind of like just you're laying around and you're kind of like strength, then you go into bridge. Yeah, yeah. I would call it like, it's a filler type of pose. Like it serves this fill, like I got 15 minutes left of this class. I got to put some stuff in here. They're going to lay down for Shavasana. Like, here we go. Um, yeah. It maybe has some relationship to like Bujjipadasana or something like that, like mechanically. Yeah, it's a reverse Bujjipadasana. Kind of. But like otherwise, yeah. I just look at the function things serve, like ha- child's pose. Child's pose is a rest. It's a place to rest. It's a, a coming back to. It's comfortable. It, no one's saying child's pose should be painful or uncomfortable. It's miserable for lots of people. So when I, I just start to look at like, oh, it's miserable for a lot of people. It requires a lot of range of motion in your feet, your ankles, your hip, your spine that a lot of people don't have, their bone structure might impede them, or just they're not, you know, they don't have the hypermobility in certain areas, your knees. And so, okay, fine. Why can't kneeling, sitting, 
lying down? Why can't those all serve as child's pose? Why can't a person pick which one works for them if that's the function? So that's what you do in a class. Just go, well, here are your options. Like, yeah. Here's so what we're trying to teach. A, you could still teach a structured class 100%. with the possibility of advancing. Because another, you know, obvious idea is what does progression look like if you're trying to safeguard everyone in the room, right? Then and to me, I'd change that too. I go with function. What's the, what, what does progressing mean? What are we talking what about is, here? Because yeah, this that, is like, yeah, yeah. see, this is all theory, right? That it, it, we're talking about concept. Yoga is just conceptual. It's not, it's not tangible in that physical sense. So I can't measure it through physical prowess or physical achievement in my mind. I can't measure it even, even by watching somebody. I can get a semi decent idea of whether somebody's making more skillful choices, but I gotta kind of know them for a little bit of time, or at least need to know the patterns that show up. And yeah. then yeah. You, you, also, you, you you can't. I mean, even I can say after carefully watching someone, you could kind of see how they're you know what they're feeling in a you know if they're yeah. in pain, right? But it's not immediately obvious, and they can cover it up, you know. And I did the same, you know, like you don't want to show, like you know, you don't want to show that, you know. Um, you know, and it looks fine from the outside, you know, and no one could tell. Mm. That's the problem with all of us um, that are. Yeah, well, that, that, that leads <laughs> on to my feeling of, yeah, that, that, you know, okay, like you're in a class, and I'm just going to, I'm just thinking out loud, really, and, and you're given a number of options, right? I mean, how do you make sure that the person chooses the right option? Because, you know, right. I could tell you for a fact that if you're giving me the hardest option, I'm probably still, even at 40 odd years old, still going to try and do this. Right. Like a competitive bastard. So you have to, so to me, this is how I look at all of it. I know that. I know that about you. I know that about me. I know that about people in general, that if I'm dealing with a group of people, if it's a one-on-one thing, it's going to be easier for me to work on. But yeah, if it's right. a group, I know that if I create any kind of hierarchy with things where one is more advanced or harder or whatever, they're going to go for that. And so my job as the teacher is to figure out how to change my language, how to change my approach, how to present things so that that is less appealing and th- that it has kind of this like, no, no, really make the decision based off your experience. Let's not put so much charge on that because, you know, they, we're t- trying to teach life skills essentially here, right? So if, if I put as much charge on something competitive in a class and hope they stay away from it there's no chance they're going to learn that there you only learn things from like the beginning levels so i have to reduce the charge so that you gain grit and stamina with you know resisting things that are unwise for you from these impulses that are you know societally habitual for us so i'll present it that way then yeah yeah but i don't you haven't got the time to speak like that which is right you know and you are very eloquent you know, change like, you, know, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Outside, so like, you know, social impulses and iterations, and you know, like current, you know, sphere of yoga. How yeah. do you say in in quick uh, terms, in terms of cues, that how what's the language now? This so, or not that. This, you know, so I can it. use examples like uh, this is a really common one that I use because it's so simple and it works really well with certain styles and it's so common. So Tadasana, for example, like Ashtanga style, you know, that, that's feet together, and there's some you know there's some wiggle room there for like certain people but in general it's like if you need to feed hip distance right so you've got this binary now it's like feet together feet hip distance uh in a lot of people's minds it's like god forbid you have them angled at all or you don't have them parallel and like there's so this is kind of like binary yeah, yeah, yeah. exists in most people's minds so if i say feet together or feet hip, hip distance even if i don't really say one is better than the other i've still boxed everyone in a room into two choices which is not going to be adequate for everybody that's there even standing i mean that that to me seems quite a i mean that could hurt hurt people (laughs) sorry well it's like they can't do it i mean yeah right they can't do it they can't do that they literally can't their knees will hit first they're down with the feet together they Their, they, their bone structure right. will impede them. If you start looking at people's legs, there's plenty of people whose legs are kind of shaped like an X, where when they try to bring their feet together, their knees hit. Now, one thing that's really that yoga teachers in general, in my mind, and this was me too, until I started branching out and seeing things differently, mm-hmm. we self-select out a really specific body type. They might look visually kind of different from the outside, different sizes, different heights, things like that, where it's not quite as uniform as another sport, but, and I'm not saying yoga is a sport, it's just, that's a good example, Yeah. but yeah, yeah. 
they have a very similar bone structure and they have a very similar range of motion. And it's an actually a quite small group of people that we're selecting. Like if we were to look at it from like my, one of my huge areas of investment and study and, you know, research is mm. hypermobility and EDS. That's mm. at tops, when you're talking about the spectrum, at tops 20% of the population. And really the one we're talking about is more like one in 5,000. And yet it shows up in droves in yoga classes. Same with like, people who have uh, leg structures that are pretty similar. I couldn't give a number on that, but I can say that like, if you compare the leg structures required to stand with your feet together to, against the general population, you'll start to see that that is so not the most common leg structure out there inherently. So they can't mm -hmm. do it. So sometimes in yeah. my mind, because it might hurt them. Sometimes it's because it, the people in front of me, I'm watching them. And I can see this is what was happening. I'm like, that person, I used to think it was just like an anomaly or they weren't trying hard enough. They just needed to come back more. Uh, something would shift. Like it's all unconscious kind of thinking, but eventually their feet would come together. No, I was wrong. Like it's just not possible for a bunch of people. So then I have to go, well, Tadasana is not about standing with your feet together. That's just the visual way it's been depicted. And that's the way that people have said it goes, you know, mm. recently. I have to go, what is, what is, uh, and, you know, it could be off of what people think it's about right now. Like it's a blueprint pose. It's a, uh, you know, coming back to zero. It's a right, right, pause. Right. It's so, yeah. stable. It's anchored. It's rooted. Like people have yeah. lots of descriptors for it. So, okay, that's what it's about. Now, does it matter if they stand with their feet together? No, of course not. You can accomplish any one of those without your feet being together. Is it required that they face straight ahead? No. What if you have bone structure, like I have torsion off my lower limbs? That means like that actually becomes injurious when it's part of a sun salute or something like that to stand with my feet in what turns my hip into medial rotation. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there's... I would just start to strip it back. So for me, when I'm teaching to answer your question of like, how would I approach that? Okay, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to sell to people. If I say mountain, like the immediate thing people do, if they don't know yoga, they stand with their feet real wide, right? Like, cause they want to make right. the shape of a mountain. Mm -hmm. But in my head, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, standing wide, like forward fold, I'm going to have a hard time selling that. Like, that's the prep up for that. Okay, I, I need to get this across to people in a way where they're like, oh, okay. It's still mountain. It's just like my mountain now. And that's their mountain. And that's cool. So they wiggle. They go feet as close together as they'll go, move them apart, you know, a little but then by little. I mean, are you cueing it to get them towards something? I mean, because yes. there's, there's two things there here. There's one, there's, I'm, right, there's one embracing yourself. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm totally with you on the idea that there's this constant reiteration of lack that, you know, in the yoga class, or at least there has been, right? Like, you're not good enough where you are. If you just did Mary Charles on a D, then you, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yes. there's this sort of thing. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But, but on the other hand, I mean, if I was always told, oh, don't bother doing Mary Charles on a, you know, just put your leg like this. You know, I never would have gotten the rotation to do it. So I'm not saying yoga's, a, you know, yoga's osteopathy or, right. or chiropractic. In fact, I definitely don't agree with it that it is. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, how do you cue someone who may be able to go further, whether it's mountain or tadasan or whatever else, into not being lazy as well because I mean, they, okay. you know yeah. good and, and I worked through all those iterations it was like okay well maybe they're not there today but let's prep this up in a more like yeah well that's real the obvious thing that comes to mind yeah 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 and then I ran into the oh well you need to take the range of motion demands in Mari Chasna D every joint involved in doing that pose is outside of what's considered clinically functional range so now you're talking about only hypermobile people coming anywhere near it um and then we could talk about like that suppose that i would give like the hats off for not helping me out so much and like a lot of the things that happen in my spine um especially because i have very short arms and so to get into that and bind that around is rough yeah. i've got to make I up that. my shoulders won't do elsewhere so mm -mm. So there's that where it's like, okay, well, if I'm trying to teach in a way that is, and I say this as a person who could do all of those things and where they were fine for a period of time and where, yeah, I couldn't do them initially. And, you know, over a period of working on them, I was able to, the problem was I was exploiting my range in this way that some people win the lottery and they end up with, you know, what would be considered asymptomatic joint hypermobility on the spectrum. And they're like that forever. And they just never, 
get hurt and they don't feel pain. But that is a gamble and it's not for sure. So if people want to do that, that's all I say is like, just know you're gambling just like you would be if you were doing gymnastics or whatever it is. Like you, this is a limited time offer at best and you may win the lottery, but you won't know until you did. And that's like the end of your life. So you might as well just know it up front. Like, you know, known risk, cal- calculated thought out risk, put that in there. But then for the people who can't, which is the vast majority of people, we're saying yoga is for everyone. And then yet 80% of people, no matter how hard they work on it, are not going to get there. Their nervous system is going to stop them. Their their uh, joint structures and their skeletal structures are going to stop them. And like I was saying before, we're self-selecting out this population of people that we're so used to seeing. We're so used to seeing people make that yeah. progress and being able to do mm. it that we don't even know that the alternative is actually the norm. The, the exception to the rule has become the yoga world's norm. But if you watched a person who doesn't have that range, they could bat and you, and you tested them for hypermobility and you made sure that that wasn't part of their wheelhouse at all, then you would watch them do the same poses. You see them in class. They're like the one person who will come and they keep at it, but they never go anywhere. Like the poses always look the same, but yet they're there, you know, five, six days a mm-hmm. week and they're really but trying. I think we're also talking about something about adapting something that was particular a time and place i you know within the the subcontinent of india you Mm. know a long time ago right like in the heat well we know ashtanga was with young brahmin boys right and now taking it towards you know you know us you know and and a general client basis let's call them clients or students whatever you want to call them that's you know that's probably you know 30s 40s right i mean my definitely my demographic is easily over 30s for sure. Yeah, mine too. And um, and wider now, much, much wider now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and so then you have to kind of start to redefine what, what you're looking for with, as yoga, I guess, you know. Right. Which is why I look at philosophically, what was this? Like, what were, what were they trying to teach even then when, you know, things like okay. and Iyengar okay. were being developed? What was that technique that honestly, like Krishnacharya is the one that came up with, all, what was he trying to do with it? What was the function it was meaning to serve? Because okay. that was, pretty new. So then I go, okay, well, to be, to be culturally appreciative, to look at it from the standpoint of like, I'm really trying to teach these teachings. How can I adapt the technique to suit the time and the place and the population better so that they actually can get that teaching part, that philosophical part coming through in direct experience. So to go back to like the Tadasana one to me, and I will answer all the questions successively is it would start like feet as close together as they go, take them away from one another a little bit at a time and potentially back towards one another. So you're going in and out until they feel and qualify it. What's the function? They feel stable under your hips. If you were on a people mover at like, you know, the airport and you got jostled a little, you wouldn't, you wouldn't topple over where it doesn't feel odd in your knees or your hip or your sacrum and let them experiment. And then I'll do the same for kind of like angling the feet. You can angle them in out. Where does it feel stable? Mountainous? This class is going to take like 10 hours. No, right. it takes three minutes to do that. <laughs> yeah. At best, at best, like and I can probably do it in ninety it, seconds. I, I think we'll do the primary series in about you know at least five hours with that kind of. Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the nice thing about primary series is if it's not lead, it has built-in components sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. that are different, where you have the ability to know what the function yeah. is right off the get, and then you get and to also, work the day. And it's, and it also is no generalization, and the danger with the vinyasa is that you know you're teaching to a very generalized class as was the lead class in in ashtanga which was only a more recent phenomenon right right exactly that's where yeah that's where that actually has benefit like that's where you know the the way that a mysore class is taught yeah Yeah. and like you have this ability to learn something the teacher is working directly with you not at all so it makes it a lot easier to customize so long as you're willing to be flexible with the the poses and how you present them like if That's you can a million dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, granted that we are here, um, what happens and why would you do a vinyasa class then, which is a generalized class and still trying to take all these things? Why wouldn't you just go off and do a one-to-one like Krishnamacharya ended up doing, right? Sounds like I mean, I taught a lot of private clientele too. Um, mm. However, why I didn't, because I figured out how to adapt it. And then I figured out how to teach other people it, how to adapt yeah. it. I guess there's something, but also the question is, I often think this, is there something in a class dynamic that's important? Because also yeah. we're, we're, adapt, so we're adapting, 
yoga, you know, to feed, to, to suit the modern demand, right? And we're also I think we're adapting doing- asana. Let's be, let's say, because, you know, we're not trying to teach, adapt the actual, like, the function of, of, of vinyasa, like, of, of yoga. Okay, we're, yeah, we didn't go into part. that fully. We yeah. can go back to that. Um, the function of yoga as a, you know, a philosophical viewpoint. Um, yes. Or say we're teaching asana. Mm-hmm. And, and we're also teaching it in a way that is very recently a, a class situation, right? I mean, the BKC Engar came over mm-hmm. and started talk, teaching classes, right? And and then Tabi Joyce didn't teach classes until he came outside of India, and then there was a whole bunch of people, so he taught classes. And, and right. you know, is there something valuable in the class situation? Because you've been yeah. teaching these, you know, classes for many years. I 100% think so. I think that there's value in a self-practice from the angle of like, you can really tune into your direct experience in a certain way. And it's only, you're only navigating you, right? Especially if you're in your home space, you have control over everything there, which is, you know, lovely from a certain standpoint, but what it lacks and what a group class has is you're not in control of the environment you're in. You're only in control of your, your personal agency and exercising it, your choice within the group context. But you don't get the control of like who's next to you and what they're doing, what the teacher's inherently presenting that day, what the sounds are like. There's all of these real life experiences that sometimes I think yoga teachers, they try to suppress them and they want to turn yoga into a spa experience. So they want everybody to participate in a very specific specific way so it doesn't bug anyone. I'm like, but that doesn't translate to regular life. Come on, use this experience to your advantage. The sounds are there. Let them be there. They bother you? Fine. Pay attention to something else. You, or you have the ability to exit the space and you don't have to listen to them and just be frustrated by them. You don't like what that person's doing next to you? Are they hurting you? No? Okay, why are you bothered by it then? Because it's not about you. So there's, and then the teacher's presenting something. And if they're a very skilled teacher who presents in a way that amplifies agency, then you can start to watch where they're giving you the option to make your own choice. They've given you enough information to make it well. And yet you want to take the habit. You want to do the thing that, you know, so-and-so told you was the way it goes, or you want to like, this is going to be, I'm going to achieve the pose if I do this. Or like, look at me, I did it today. Mm -hmm. Whatever habit it is that doesn't inherently serve somebody to use all the time, they have the chance in that environment to go, she keeps saying, I don't have to do it like that. She's not coming over here and making me do it. She's not putting her hands on me. She's not saying my name. She's making general suggestions that maybe I consider what it would be like not to engage with that habit Mm. and look at me wanting to do it. And Mm. so that, that only happens in my experience in those group classes. I like like that expression amplifies agency. It's a good one. Um, Yeah. What, what about the fact that you've got Krishnamacharya, um, certainly, Iyengar, certainly, but Harvey Joyce, pretty much. They're pretty dictatorial, right? I mean, you know, they're pretty dictatorial teachers, right? And they definitely don't amplify agency (laughs) at all. (laughs) But they're they're presenting the method of asana, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and behind that, you know, one assumes at least that they're trying to certainly, well, one assumes they're trying to um, uh, convey some teaching of yoga, you know, no more, you know, full capacity. So we're, so where does the, the teaching of yoga come in if the if the individual has complete agency over how they take it? Or is there any room to say, well, okay, this is what I'm trying to teach you in yoga. And this is what, you know, it's like, well, no, consciousness doesn't just do whatever you fancy, you know, like consciousness is, you know, to be trained on one point. No, it doesn't, you know, it's not more happy if you spread it in loads of points and Netflix and beers no, no. and going out, you know, it's actually, uh, this is yoga, you know, like how right. far do you go? Do you know what I mean? Before you lose, you're like, oh, just whatever you fancy. So I think like if we were to look at that, look at it from an angle of like, yes, I I totally think that they were all trying to teach the same thing. Like if we were to look at, you know, enduring discomfort or like, you know, doing what is uncomfortable or we could call it unfamiliar and perhaps different than what you've been used to. And yet your pattern you've been used to is actually destructive to you in some way or harmful, but doing the opposite of it is really uncomfortable. So I think those ideas are built into those systems that you're talking about. But what it was 
built on ended up being like this physical discomfort to endure when in truth, we're talking about the discomfort of choice, the discomfort of, you know, doing what works for you, despite what the system tells you, you have to do, right? Like this is, this is the freedom mindset of, of a yoga practice in, in my experience with like what they were all talking about. It's like, you think it has to go this way and it keeps causing you friction to try to make it go that way. You think you have to go to this school or be married to this person or have this much money or, you know, follow this line of, of faith system or whatever it is. There's this behavioral pattern you've been told is the way. So we're going to try to go like, that's not inherently the way it goes. And if it's causing you suffering, then there's another way. And you can free yourself from having to repeat these patterns. Okay, great. That's in a lot of them. But the technique they were using was so physical and so domineering and so reverent to the tradition that everybody ends up kind of like this cookie cutter of the that same kind of person where they're kind of like paying homage to the system and said, if if to me if if it was working, then there would not be a meltdown in yoga people when you say like you can stand with your feet differently, but like people just freak out and they're like oh my gosh like I but so and so said it doesn't go like that okay so now we have reverence to the person but this tradition says it has to go this way oh my gosh and then but aren't they going to get hurt aren't they good isn't it going to create and then they'll list like myriad reasons why they could get injured from standing in a way that feels wise for them i'm not saying inherently comfortable they're having to pay attention make sure that's uncomfortable it's hard to pay attention to what you're doing and why you're doing it so but they they freak out right so they're like creating an yeah. attachment yeah. so that's the thing for me is that, that we actually created an attachment and we created human suffering in the exact same patterns in the systems that we we adapted off of and utilized in these modern times and we've we don't even have to unpack your past at this point i just have to go oh wait you think that the police or like a government agency are going to come get you if you, or an ambulance is going to come if you yeah, stand yeah. wisely. Yeah. Okay, I think we have a problem here because that's not true. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, I would have a hard time kind of um, suggesting that people stand with their feet apart. You know, I can tell right. you that. Like it makes but, you I mean, Yeah, but but yeah, but no. Chucky always used to say to me, "I'm not the yoga police," you know. Yeah. Out of his own mouth, which I like. You know, I took that took that one. Um, right. Hmm. So let me say though that that's like that's what I riffed off of for years. It's like I felt uncomfortable too. I was a gymnast trained by the Canadian yeah. Olympic coach. He was Russian. Right. Like I was oh, about yeah. like this is how it goes. This is how it looks. This is what gets you the score. Like that was yeah. my that's how I taught. So this idea initially like I I might be wrong or there might be more to the picture. And I'm not saying standing with your feet together is 100% wrong. I'm saying it's not right for everybody. So it's not to eliminate that. And it's not to eliminate hips distance. It's to say there's a million choices in between that may be true for the person in the moment. Can you figure mm. out a way to get them to engage? Yeah, right. that they make the right choice for them so that they, they realize in fullness when you know Chuck says that I'm not the yoga police. I'm like, I want them to get that message. I don't want it to be like theoretical or something that, you know, kind of trickles down over 40 years or they have to get hurt to really hear. I'm like, no, it would be now. the same. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, I mean, I think there's something about, I mean, I, I have a, I have a, 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 and a mixed feeling about tradition, but there is something about giving yourself to the tradition because yoga is, you know, you know, I think we would agree it's something to do with, getting rid of egoic or misrepresentations of self, right? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Stripping down, you know, to, to a clear awareness, which is less vested in, you know, unhelpful aspects of identity, right? And, and right. you know, to some respects, it seems that you could easily go in that direction more, you know, giving people more. I mean, the idea, the, the enjoyable thing about tradition that a lot of people like is that they can forget about, you know, I mean, certainly with the Ashtanga one, right? It's right. like you've got the system, well, before you injure yourself, but <laughs> before that point, you can, you know, you can, I'm just thinking, I'm just reading your mind there. But, um, you know, before before that point, you can forget about your individuality. You don't have to decide for yourself. There's too many bloody choices on life, right? Like, right. And you know, you know, you, you know, you just, so is there, what about tradition? What do you think? I don't inherently have a problem with 
tradition in the broad sense, or like, you know, I, I would say that I'm an untraditional traditionalist. Like I am very staunch on what I'm trying to teach. Like I, of course, I learn more all the time about the concepts that are underlying the technique I'm using and like what, what is driving all of that is constantly like deepening. But so I'm very much like one of those people that will be like, that's not it this is it. Like, the, this is actually what yoga is. And I'm sorry, it can't be, you know, a goat uh, with fireworks on a paddleboard doing a handstand in a lake while taking a picture for Instagram. Like, that's not, I'm sorry. It's not it. It's just, there's that's no good, way. I'm sure you've done it. I mean, you're All fine. the things. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. but um, what, no, you're you saying, you know, about yoga and, you know, yoga is this or that for me. We haven't, discussed i mean i've kind of put myself on the line you know and given a couple of ideas about what it might or might not be what what's it for you what how you know what is it what is it your, your essence of what you're trying to convey trying to philosophically philosophically speaking in a, in a in a physical way what is that so you summed up a little bit of it when you're saying that it it is this um destruction of or i would call it as well like understanding of and ability to navigate um and out of or to to change in in the moment to recognize and to change um this kind of ego driven behavioral pattern not all ego obviously because we're not trying to die like we need to be here with our bodies and like you gotta participate but yeah it's uh, a blunt instrument saying yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that that um habitual set of patterns and habits that we're we all have as humans and then that are built on depending on our upbringing the culture we're in all of those things and to try to change or to destroy that or to be able to navigate out of it and see it and change it. So there's that. And I would say that if I'm going to sum it up really simply, I think human beings are all born with an inherent feeling of lack. We could call it like if you're digging yeah. another religion, you call it like the, the that separation. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. Original wounds. Well the separate. feeling well the original sin. It's the original yeah, the, exactly. the, the sin, there's it's, something wrong with you that, that you're exactly. guilty and you need to be atoned for. Yeah. 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 And how you go about doing it depends on how you were raised, who you are, what culture you're in. You're going to be told that in order to make yourself whole, here's the things you need to do. But the truth is you're not, you were never on whole. The truth is that you always were, you know, at least at source, perfect. You might've developed a whole bunch of really crappy behavior on top of that, but you know, at, at source, you are perfect. You're whole, you're, you're already there and we forget. And so yoga is the process of remembering that you were always whole, that you're here to experience that, you know, you are human and that you're here to experience from your unique angle. Like that's what you've got is your lens on the world. And the, you know, that's kind of like the, the universe witnessing mm. through you or that God consciousness. Yeah. No one else can. So you might as well do it instead of trying to change it to be somebody else's viewpoint. So that, that would be my quick sum up of it, which then goes to how I would choose to teach things because yeah, I know. Because it could easily translate to making someone, I, I could see the danger of it translating to making someone more unique. You know, oh, yeah. you know, it's going to embrace your particularities of how you fancy doing it rather yeah. than, you know. Instead of it being you know, fragile like that, I would go like, it's not about you, in, you know, in all your like little individual things that you, you need to make yourself so special yeah. and, then, and then you're special and everybody else isn't. It's like, no, we're all different. So in all being different, it is no longer unique because everybody's unique. So the, it becomes like, we're all having an experience, have yours instead of trying to change yourself to fit somebody else's or making them try to change to fit yours let it be what it is, do what's skilled for you. And that's, that's about it. There's not this need to like adapt and fix oneself in that, in that kind of way. But you also don't get to be special if you realize that you're not, you're not any more special than anybody else. We're, we're all, we're all in the same boat in that kind of way. Yeah. And I reckon you make that pretty clear in a class situation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a lot uh, of ways, it can. it's pretty yeah. easy. So I think, I think, yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to talk a bit about your background and about, you know, you came from like a, do you say, do they, do your family is missionaries? Or, is that right? Or is it very, uh, very my, Christian, very devout, yeah, right? Very devout. Yeah, my yeah. grandfather uh, and grandmother on my dad's side were missionaries. Um, and then my grandfather on my mother's side was a traveling preacher. Um all in what was what's considered the Pentecostal church in Canada, but it's not mm. the same Pentecostal in the US. It would be called like the evangelical church in the US, I suppose, like the born again. Right. So, but yeah, yeah, but they're pretty serious, like um, philosophical oh, yeah. beliefs, let's say. I mean, I think you can say, 
I read something like you asked your mum what happened when someone died, and she said, "Well, if they've been good, then they'll go to heaven. Otherwise, they're going to go to hell." And then I was a and friend then you had this Buddhist that I asked yeah. what would happen to my friend. Yeah, what would happen to them? Oh, well, if they're Buddhist, well, they're, they're not. <laughs> they don't get to go. And I was yeah, like, they're, they're, "What?" They're, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you, you, you know, you had this fear of dying. It's a strong fear of dying, right? Not really. Um, no, I thought you said you had a fear. We had anxiety. I mean, I had a fear that. of being separate as a kid. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yes, as yes. a kid, when you're told you have to fit a certain belief system and faith system, and you don't, and right. you're little, you don't understand. And I just knew I didn't like. They all seem to be into it. What I know now, as an adult, is like they were, you know into it as much as they needed to be into it to kind of fit fit the mold for the most right. part um yeah, yeah. But, but as a kid you don't know that you're i'm just going they're really into it and i don't feel mm. this and mm. so if i don't feel this i used to ask questions all the time like what if i don't really believe it inside or like what if i what if i decide i don't want to believe this and then like i, I i'm wrong and i want to come back like what will happen to me because yeah i was afraid of course as a kid you're afraid of being left alone. You can't take care of yourself. You don't know what the heck is going on. And so my fear was like, I'll die. I'll go to hell. They'll all be in heaven and I'll be all alone. That's a, it's a pretty rough belief system to give, to give a kid, you know, give you a lot yeah. of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then, you know, I suppose what I'm leading to is you had this anxiety and then, you know, inevitably it comes at one point and then it's just going kind to of generalize, right? And you're going to go into the adult world and it's going kind to of got a generalized anxiety problem. Really? You know? yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, and uh, so you came to yoga probably like with a lot of people in this way and, you know, to, to heal to heal this issue mainly, right? That's what you're mm-hmm. speaking about because you could do all the stuff, you know, the fancy stuff already. That wasn't really the issue, right? And how, oh, did that work? Did that work out for you? How, how was that journey? Because, you know, this is an important question for a lot of people that... yeah. It overlaps, right? I mean, I would say right now, if I had have had the luxury of of meeting me as a teacher or somebody that that I, I've you know given the tools to, and they teach, you know, they always apply them in their own way, but that teaches in the way that I, I hope to teach people now, I would have learned it much more quickly, and I would be. Um, it would have been difficult in a lot of ways because it was so diametrically opposed to my mindset at that time, but I definitely could have avoided some of the pitfalls. However, I didn't. And so I've ended up in this place where, you know, I wouldn't be who I am now and I wouldn't be able to give the teaching stuff that I do now without this path. So there's that. But mm. it worked out sort of initially because it was familiar. Um, and yeah, somebody who used my body to, you know, ADD and things like that. So moving and doing things, it's probably why my parents put me in gymnastics when I was two, is I, I needed to be doing stuff. So it perpetuated that. And I, it was that familiar pattern of like being exhausted in a way, like I'd exhaust myself out from physically doing stuff and then I'd sleep. But really, I'm just, you know, like begets like, I'm just perpetuating this whole cycle of like constant stress and being in this stress response all the time. However, it was so normal for me that I didn't, I didn't know anything. Yeah. Um, so well, it helped initially. Kind of- Mm-mm, mm. Yeah, it ha- it helped initially. Then I got really hurt. And fortunately, I'm a huge advocate for therapy and mental health stuff like that. So I'd been in therapy like the whole the whole while as well. Um, and when I s- couldn't physically practice in those ways anymore, and then I found a meditation practice that suited me for a while. Problem was that I also can, as a person with ADD, we tend to be able to also hyper focus, which means that I could just hyper focus. Oh, really? oh yeah. Oh, right. If I'm interested and into something, I am all in on it and it's the only thing that matters. So I can hold like my breath pattern. It was the Theravatan Buddhist meditation. So I just hold it and watch and watch and watch. The problem was I would use it to avoid feeling anything. Like I would just, here I am. And that's what I use the physical for. If I'm doing this, if I'm physically doing this, I don't have to feel the feelings. I don't have to really feel this feeling of lack or fear or all of that stuff. So you know, temporarily band-aided a lot of it in those sorts of ways, but there was an underpinning that was working. There's something about studying and teaching and reteaching and restudying philosophy and understanding it, that that combined with, you know, therapy and then further developing physical techniques that actually created a nervous system balance or an opportunity for it. 
where I could, you know, deeply move into relaxation, where I could make these choices that were from my standpoint instead of what the authority figure was asking of me or what, you know, would please some external source. So all of those things combined together, yeah, they ended up working, but I would be, I would, it would be folly for me to not say that I also didn't give a huge amount of credit to therapy and to my therapist over the years and to, you know, some techniques that people wouldn't inherently look at as from the outside and say, oh, that's yoga right now. But I would deeply call yoga, like me laying around on the floor, doing little of this, little of that, and like really noticing what's going on. And we call it like a mini moving, mildly moving meditation. Without mm, all that, mm. I don't know where I would be. So yeah, it, the process worked, I suppose. Like philosophically, the process worked of constantly paying attention, evaluating, reevaluating, like, you know, changing patterns. All, yeah, that worked. And I do find, I will never forget it. The first night of my teacher training, my original teacher said, you are not your thoughts. Not everything your, your mind says is true and you don't have to do everything it says. And like my my mouth must have been hanging open because I was like, that is so relieving in so many ways. And yet so terrifying in other, like, how do I do, I have no idea how to do that. But this idea that my mind didn't have to dictate everything and, oh my God, that was so relieving. And so that's built right in there. And so I would say like that would, yeah, yoga worked because that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody put it that way. And it made sense. And I was like, I want that. I'm going to figure out how to make that more mm. of what life is. Yeah. Is there anything inherently in the practice of yoga that makes it a calming though? Because sometimes I kind of think, yes, you've got the routine, you've got the tiredness, right? Like you've got a habit that's familiar. You've got something to do for a restless mind. But on the other hand, you've got something which is seriously stimulating the energy of your spine. I mean, you know, I can, yeah, I can tell you, I don't know how you got far you got with the system, but when you go further into all the legs and the oh, weird I stuff, second. you know, it, <laughs> right well you go you start to get into advanced b series you know and then you find right that you're you know you're doing really odd stuff and you know i can tell you it's you sometimes you kind of wonder right it makes you know it can make people kind of more anxious i think for the very advanced you know is that your experience oh yeah it's incredibly yeah. nervous system stimulating it's uh, you know sympathetic system uh, triggering and and amplifying so um yeah for sure and i i was competitive gymnast i lived there you know, my family life and then that, like they all go together, you know, you're a magnet for that, which is out of balance and you'll perpetuate it. So I think that's why you see a lot of people that have, you know, maybe more extreme backgrounds of like physicality or, you know, not that it's extreme, but like there's a lot of people that get into things like Ashtanga with addiction and things like that because Mm. there's stimulation and then this Mm. need to stimulate and it's, you know, healthier, I would say, in a lot of ways than yeah. other things. Is the health, yeah. It's a healthy addiction. Yeah. 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 But it still becomes almost this addiction. And then when I look at it, it's really funny because I'm like, okay, if you look at it through like the lens of we're confused, we're deluded, you know, our thoughts are are making this reality that isn't inherently happening right now. So we're afraid that we're, you know, going to get attacked by a bear, so to speak, when there's no bear in the room, and we're behaving as if it is all the time, to every level that that could happen. And then we use this system, and oftentimes, like, almost, I would say, way more than half the time, that perpetuates that and just makes the bear more ferocious in a lot of ways. So we're like mm-hmm. running away from it or we're hiding from it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but aren't we supposed to be realizing that the bear isn't there? But you can't realize. Well, for the individual self, the bear is definitely there. For oh, the yeah. Self, the the bear is in the room all well, no, oh, for the individual 100%. self, the bear is in the room all the time because the bear yeah. is just, you know, I mean, you know, if you're the individual, then uh, you know, like, totally. and, and you right, then you you are in danger, you know, sooner or well, later. What I'm saying know. is, aren't we trying to wake up, like, to, to get into a place of feeling safe and of being aware of our environment, so that maybe for a second we could go, oh wait, I think that bear is there, but it's right now, it's not okay. Wait, that was the idea of like, you are not your thoughts. You don't have to do everything they say. Like, and you're not responsible. You're not creating them or self-generating them inherently. They're just happening. And then you're reacting to them. I'm like, wouldn't it be, isn't it lovely to have this idea of like, 
yeah, here now, I'm not that thing I fear. That thing I fear is not currently happening. And to be very careful with scope practice and how one goes about like facilitating that environment. But when an environment is safe enough and the nervous system isn't being stimulated in that way, it can drop down into this place of feeling at ease. And that's what I love right now is like, oh, if we can get there, then I can put the competitive thing or the, you know, like attainment thing in front of you. And I can go, okay. But right here, right now, how does it feel? Why do you want to do that? And there's some separation between choice and and that thought or like seeing it, just time. So that, because when the bear is there, you're just doing what you always do and what all those habits have told you to do Mm -hmm. to keep you safe. So it's impossible to tell a competitive person, don't be competitive when they're in a... in that, you know, fight, flight, free state, they're, they're like, no, competition's kept me safe. I'm going to keep doing it. And so they push for it. And I'm like, how about if we backed off and saw what was going on right now? And we said, it'll be safe enough for you not to. And let's see what happens. There's, there's the, like, the depth of it in my mind. Alex, I've got so many more questions to ask you, but I know you're conscious of time. And I just want to say um, a, a quick one. Um, what is your process look like now? What does your practice look like now? What are your aims or goals for the future? Yeah. Um, now it, it depends on the day, honestly, and what's going on. I still have a nervous system that is highly, it's hard. It, it will always be. I have HEDS. I'm hardwired to run hot and to, you know, be up like that. So I'm very conscientious of doing things that are downregulating, that are, you know, safety driven, like, making sure that I'm going to be able to sleep. And so I lay on the floor a lot. Like I lay around in constructive rest a ton and just doing things that are like small little movements or just meditation on single points. And that's, that's about it, but it's all of this like balance. Okay. Let's create balance. Let's get down. Um, And then I do a, a kind of chronic amount of studying because I'm constantly representing the same ideas over and over. And, you know, a good chunk of that is always led by all the philosophy stuff. Um, and then it's not yoga, but I, as I've said before, like I thank my therapist for all the years of like continuity that that's created and this mm. ability to really have a safe place and things like that, that then I can bring out and experiment with in, you know, my own practice as well as in life. So that's, that's where I'm at now. It won't look like anything you'd see on Unless you want to see me laying on the floor, it's not going to look like much. Yeah. So you're not, you're not doing that much physical, you're not, not so much physical asana based on No, so. no, not like uh, that. I mean, not in that way. Not, you don't miss, you don't miss that, all that gymnastic stuff you did. You don't miss it. No, so. I did it forever. I mean, sometimes I miss gymnastics. Yeah. I don't miss the right. physicality. I, I miss flying right. through the air. That that yeah, is yeah. fun to, yeah, to be yeah, like yeah. you know the the awesome oh. stuff. And I, I know my it means diminishing other people's experience with it. But when you can fly through the air, oh. you're doing a press to handstand is not that exciting or or fun. I want to so flying through the air. Yeah, and the next time I'm in London, um, my friend Jenny and I are going to go to adult gymnastics because she did gymnastics too. We're going to go go do. Hello, Jenny. Trampoline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I wanted to talk about your thing with Yoga Alliance. That was really well written. Um, definitely look at her uh, blog posts. They're really, really good. Um, and that comes from me, who's quite a staunch critic of writing. Um, well, can you just tell me advice for a younger self? Um, uh, just to end, uh, a guilty pleasure. And don't say, oh, I'm not guilty about anything. And, um, and uh, an inspiration. And it can be a book or a person or a thing or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, sure. uh, advi- advice for a younger self. Younger self. Mm. Uh, I wish that... I wish I had have known that I am, my worth is not derived from what I look like or what I can do for other people. And um, that I don't, that I don't need to derive my worth from pleasing other people or, you know, breaking my back to, in order to help them or, you know, to make them in some way. And I'd say you're, you're, you're worthy on your own. You're, you're, you can do that. You don't need to do that from that place of hoping that that will make you whole. Mm. Um, mm. So I, mm. yeah, tell myself that I'm already there in that way. Mm. Uh, the wisdom of age. Yeah. 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 Indeed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Um, and um, okay, uh, a guilty pleasure. What do you like to do outside uh, uh, reading about philosophy and Buddhism? Oh, oh I, like many things. Uh, comedy is my is my guilty pleasure. Comedy. Oh, oh my god, yes. We well, yeah, Canadians am... like Canadians. There's a big tradition of comedy there, right? Yeah, especially Toronto. That's stuff. where I'm from. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mike Myers, Jim Carrey, like we had yeah, Lauren yeah. Michaels, all the all the goodies. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm a huge yeah. stand-up comedy fan. Massive. I've probably watched every special that exists, and so like comedy podcasts and all that are my. Right. Are my, and one day I will do it. I've done enough public speaking over the years that I'm fairly. Or do you some comedy? Oh yeah, stand-up. that's my that's my secret that's, like desire. Fantastic. <laughs> that yeah. is that is the best. That is the best one I've ever had. In terms of that, uh, yeah, when I say a guilty pleasure, that's a fantastic pleasure. Um, okay, and uh, uh inspiration, something it uh, inspires you. I think I'm going to have to go with I. I have a, a handful of uh, really dear friends around me that I are I would put in the friend category. Uh, without them knowing, they would fall into the teacher category. Um, just in life um, and that handful of friends has been so instrumental in showing me what grace is like, what, um, you know, letting somebody make mistakes and, and still being there is like, um, at endurance, at just living. Um, so I would say that they kind of constantly inspire me by just how they live. Huh. Right. Yeah. right. Well, there you go. thanks so much, Alex. Thank you. You're welcome. Wonderful, yeah. Wonderful podcast. And thanks for coming. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Okay. Um, let's say Yoga Physics is the, uh, the website. Of That's Alex, my website. Right? Yep. Yeah, you can physics. find me on yeah. Instagram. It's a good place yeah. to find oh, me. Oh, yeah. She's very, very Instagram friendly. All right. Okay. Thanks, Alex. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.